My name is Anthony Fatsis and welcome to the What The Finance podcast, where we interview finance, trading, investing experts to help you understand current market trends and learn about the intricacies of new and existing assets. Well, I think a recession is inevitable and people have been saying this for a long time. People have been saying this for a year and a half now. I mean, yield curve inverted 16 months ago, typically you get uh, a recession at least within 18 months of a, an inversion. Uh, now the yield curve is uninverting, it's steepening, uh, which is usually co-occurs with a recession. Um, you know, the data has been deteriorating for a while. It's kind of happening in slow motion. It's a very slow moving phenomenon. Um, but, you know, it's my opinion that interest rates are going to come down dramatically in the next three to six months. On this episode of the What the Finance podcast, I have the pleasure of welcoming on Jared Dillon, who's invested in author of the classic Street Freak, and he's got a new book coming out at the start of next year, which is No Worries, How to Live a Stress-Free Financial Life. So, Jared, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I am really uh, enjoy listening to your views on all the other platforms. Uh, but yeah, my first question is, what is your current thoughts about, I guess, what we're currently seeing in the markets and the economy? Well, I think a recession is inevitable. And people have been saying this for a long time. People have been saying this for a year and a half now. I mean, yield curve inverted 16 months ago. Typically, you get uh, a recession at least within 18 months of a, an inversion. Uh, now, the yield curve is uninverting. It's steepening, uh, which is usually co-occurs with a recession. Um, you know, The data has been deteriorating for a while. It's kind of happening in slow motion. It's a very slow moving phenomenon. Um, but, you know, it's my opinion that interest rates are going to come down dramatically in the next three to six months um, for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, one, because the economy is slowing, two, because we have the highest short positions on record in the commitment to traders report in bond futures, twos, fives, tens across the curve, the highest short positions on record. Um, and I think it's become pretty consensus, this view that rates are going to be the economy, you know, we're going to be higher for longer that, um, you know, in spite of the fact that eight out of eight yield curve inversions have led to a recession, this one will not. That is kind of the prevailing view. Like this time will be different. And you know what it means anytime somebody says this time will be different. Like it's never different. Like it's not going to be different this time. So I think we're actually kind of on the cusp of it. Um, you know, this is being recorded November 7th. And, you know, we had the, you know, the payroll data last week, which was pretty weak, uh, not atrocious, but it was pretty weak. Uh, the manufacturing surveys have been weak for a while. So, yeah, um, I don't think it's going to be a, a, a catastrophe. I don't think it's going to be an exceptionally severe recession, like certainly nothing like 2008. But I do think that growth is going to be negative. So. Okay, that's that's quite brave, because I guess if we look at the recent uh, GDP read, it was very high. Do you think that was just an abnormal, abnormal reading or what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, you know, abnormal or not, like GDP out of all economic indicators is the most backward looking and slow and lagged out of all the indicators. So I, I really don't think you can make money trading off of GDP. Um, 
you know, I, the, one of the closest things we have to a real time economic indicator is claims, you know, claims we get weekly and it's real time and it's ticking up just a tiny bit for the first time in a long time. So we'll see if that continues. So. So is that the key thing that you're going to be watching or what are this, I guess, some other economic indicators you'll be paying attention to? Um, you know, we're getting um, Michigan sentiment this week. And, you know, the discussions around sentiment are pretty interesting because sentiment is very low. Um, people are pretty bearish on the economy. And a lot of it is because of the lagged effects of inflation. Like prices went up and prices stopped going up. Inflation is down to about 2 or 3%. But people still have the memory of prices being lower before the pandemic. So if groceries cost them 160 bucks before and they cost them 240 bucks now, every time they go to the grocery store, they get that constant negative feedback of prices are higher, this sucks, like, you know, it used to be better in the past. And I think I think a lot of that lagged effect of inflation it contributes to the low sentiment numbers that we're seeing. Um so I think that's a big part of it. So I I don't think I don't, you know, I don't think the sentiment numbers are as useful as they used to be. Okay, that makes sense. So, so what would you say is, is there any other indicators maybe are more useful now? You think because of this shift in inflation? Well, um, you know, what's interesting is that um, we have CPI, which uh, has CPI is also very lagged. And uh, a big component of CPI is housing prices. And as you know, housing prices really defied expectations and continue to go up, uh, including rents. Um, and they're finally, you were, I'm actually, I just listed my house for sale three weeks ago and I haven't sold it. And we're dropping the price today. I literally just signed the agreement. Um, you're starting to see demand evaporate. In the housing market, you're going to see rents come down. You're going to see housing come down. Of course, this isn't going to feed into CPI for like nine months. Um, but ultimately, I think a year or two years from now, you'll see you'll see inflation at two percent at the at the target or below. I think that's actually going to happen. So, okay, no, that, that makes sense. And do you, do you think uh, power will actually? I guess move as fast as you're saying because the the, the challenge there is uh, they've been so hesitant to <laughs> to stop raising, let alone pivot to decrease. So, what do you think would have to happen to him then to pivot and actually start bringing down interest rates? Well, so the unemployment rate has gone from three point five to three point nine. Uh, I think if it prints four, that's you know a big psychological level. If you get unemployment to like four and a half percent, then that's going to get the Fed's attention, especially in an election year. Um, you know, the dot plots have consistently shown that the Fed all along has intended to cut rates within a year of raising them to, you know, what is terminal Fed funds, five and a half percent. So, um, you know, I think that last time I looked like Fed funds futures had uh, the first cut priced in in June, which is six months from now. Um, I think that's not aggressive enough. I think it's probably going to happen sooner than that um, for a whole bunch of reasons, including geopolitical reasons and everything like that, plus the election year. And um, I think 
the Fed probably doesn't know that they're going to cut, but they are going to cut. They're going to cut sooner than they think. So, okay. So then, I guess does that play into your thought that the recession might not be too deep? Because I guess if they're going to if they're going to have to cut, then there's probably going to be something bad happening. Or do you, do you just think they're going to get nervous? Um, I think it's I, I think it's really going to be the labor market, which you know. The labor market is the one thing that is held in for so long, um, which is which has really confused a lot of people. But you're starting to see signs of weakness. Um, you get unemployment up a couple of ticks. Um, I think it's going to be clear that things are slowing down, and that'll ultimately lead to cuts. But you know, one of the one of the reasons I like being long bonds in general is because you have all kinds of free options, right? Like, basically, if you're short bonds, the only thing that helps you out is the economy getting stronger. If you're long bonds, there's a bunch of things that can help you out. It's the economy getting weaker. It's geopolitical stuff. It's natural disasters. It's exogenous events. Like, you have, there's so much asymmetry there. Um, plus, you know, now if you have a short position in bonds, you're paying all this carry, it's like very high negative carry. So it just, it like, I think, I think it's just so asymmetric. Like it just makes sense to be long bonds. So. Okay. Do you, do you think as well, I guess, if things sort out that, uh, I guess the, the short end could actually, uh, increase in price anyway, because it's been inverted because the fears of recession. So that might actually sort of reverse, or do you think it's going to be more long ends going to, uh, Yields are going to have to increase to uh, revert it back to a normal curve. I think a year from now you'll see twos at two and a half percent and tens at three and a half percent. I mean, we've seen a lot of yield curve transformations over the past six months. We've seen bear steep. We saw the big bear steepener that happened a month or two ago. Uh, what we have not seen is the bull steepener, and the bull steepener is the yield curve transformation that fixes everything. You know, that gets that gets gold to go up. They, they, a, b- a bunch of good things happen if you get that bull steepener. So yeah, I think the front end is going to come down a lot faster. So Okay, makes sense. Yeah, can you talk more about those I guess the the other assets because if we see the recession, if we see cutting, will that actually be good for for equities or would it be the short term where before the Fed does anything, you know, they go down and then once they pivot then uh, things will go up. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at the last two big recessions, and I'm not including the pandemic here, but if you look at 2007 and 2000, um, what you saw was that you know Fed rate cuts had a positive short term effect that would last two, three, four days, and then stocks would continue to go down. I mean, you can like in 2000 and 2007 you can point to the top of the chart in equities where the last rate hike was and you can look at all the cuts on the way down and you would see bounces where the cuts were but ultimately like i i'm not i'm not necessarily like a big stock market bear i don't think i don't think we're going to be down 30 or 40 or 50% but I think it's reasonable that we would retest the lows from 2022, that we would get down to about 3,500 in the S&P. I think that's possible. So, Okay. But then it's not going to be as uh, massive a decrease, I guess, as we saw in during COVID or we saw in yeah. 2008. It's just going to be yeah. maybe a, a, short, a shorter drop, maybe faster as well. And then when the Fed pivot, then 
back 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 into business. Yep. So, that, so I guess from your opinion, why don't you think we'll see this new normal? Because as you said, there's lots of people talking about deglobalization, onshoring, all these other factors that are going to sort of create this new higher for longer inflationary world. Why don't you think you could see that? Well, there is no new normal. There never is. But the one argument I think that holds water with regard to higher interest rates is the supply issue and the fact that we're running you know, $2 trillion deficits. Um, and you know the auctions are bigger and the auctions are getting sloppier there was a bad bond auction a couple of weeks ago um like definitely that supply is weighing on the bond market but one thing i will tell you is that bonds and oil are very similar because it's very easy to measure supply we know the supply of oil we know the supply of bonds we do not know what the demand is and the demand can come out of nowhere so if you go back to 2008, 2009, uh, during the financial crisis, and we went from running $400 billion deficits to $1.8 trillion deficits, you know, at the time, I was saying to myself, there's going to be a failed auction, like the bond market's not going to be able to handle this supply. But we were in the midst of one of the biggest bear markets in history, and people showed up at the auctions because they were... It, it was the it was one of the biggest risk off events of all time, you know, and, and it was a flight to safety. So that can happen, like, and it's I think it absolutely will happen. Okay, so it, um, sorry, what will happen? The fact that uh, we won't have a issue. People with, will show up to buy bonds. They'll show up to buy bonds. Yeah, I mean, let me okay. put it this way: if the S and P five hundred is at thirty five hundred, people will be bidding at auctions. They will. Yeah. I guess the risk, as you said, if the economy stays high and if that's the real risk where um, inflation stays high and there's all this debt going out there, maybe they won't show up. Yep. 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 Okay. That that makes sense. So then from your perspective, you're saying you're, you're mainly focusing at, at the moment on on bonds, the short end. You think that's the best opportunity at least? That is That is what I think is the best opportunity out there for sure. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then you, you mentioned there as well that you think there could be some uh, geopolitical tail risks as well. So um, do you think they're, are they being priced correctly into the markets or, and I guess, what do you think they could be? Um, I mean, you saw, you know, when the, when the war in the Middle East started, you saw gold go from 1840 to 2000 in a couple of weeks. Right. And that was all, that was, that was a, a purely a hundred percent geopolitical trade. Um, and it's sold off since then. It's trading around 1960. Um, are the tail risks priced? I don't know. There's a lot of people out there who say that this will be contained and uh, it will not spread to Iran or other countries in the Middle East. And um, I'm not a geopolitical expert. I don't know. All I want to know is I want to own that optionality, right? Like it's 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 worth paying for. It's absolutely worth paying for. I mean, if you, if you honestly think that, um, that, that the geopolitical conflict is going to be contained, then short gold, like that's the answer, right? Like that's the trade. There's a trade for that. Um, you know, I just, I would rather be long the options. Okay. Makes sense. So, 
Um, if we sort of go into your book now, uh, so as you said, you're releasing it sort of early next year. No worries. Uh, how to live a stress-free financial life. How does some? I guess what was the influence for writing that? Um, so I had a, a radio show for two years. It's called the Jared Dillian Show. It was a show on personal finance, and it was a daily show. I was on the air for two hours every night. I had to create a lot of content for the show, and you know, I would I would be in the radio station. It would be like eight o'clock at night, and I'd be talking in this microphone. And you know, I did a lot of thinking on personal finance. And the one theme that I kept coming back to is, you know, there's a lot of bad advice in personal finance out there. Um, if you go to Barnes Noble and you look at the shelf, you see books like Seven Ways to Become a Millionaire and Ten Ways to Become a Millionaire and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's not really the goal. Like the goal is to be happy. The goal, the goal is to be stress-free. And a lot of this advice that people are given has them behave in such a way that actually increases their stress, you know, or causes them to think about money all the time. Right. And really, if you're doing it correctly, you should not be thinking about money all the time. But um, a lot of the radical saving stuff that, you know, Susie Orman has talked about with giving up the coffee and Dave Ramsey has talked about with like putting money in envelopes and stuff like that. Like it, be, it turns it distorts your relationship with money and it turns your relationship with money into an obsession. And it's something that you're thinking about all the time. And the biggest conclusion that I came to when I wrote this book was it's not a million small things that determine whether you're wealthy. It's just a couple of big things. It's how big of a house do you get? How expensive of a car do you get? And how much money do you take out to go to college? It's the house, the car and the student loans. If you get those three things right, then you can buy coffee. You can stop at Dunkin' Donuts and get coffee in the morning. Like, it's just math. Like, it's just math. Like, you know, if you get a if you get a house that is $100,000 more expensive, you will pay $130,000 more in interest over the life of the loan, which is like 40 years of coffee. Okay. So it's literally just arithmetic. Like, the little stuff... You know, we live in a culture where people tell us that it, it's the small habits, it's the little things that matter, like make your bed in the morning. That stuff literally does not matter. If you just get a couple of big things right, then you will be successful. Okay, so yeah, that, that's the way to live a stress-free life, you're saying, is just to focus on the real big things that are going to have the massive impact on on your not just your stress levels, but on the money you have as well. Yep. Okay. Is is there anything else or are those are big three? Is it, I guess, it, obviously a job as well, the income that you have, or is that not really as important? Well, the other the other part of it is, um, so that, that really refers to the debt side of it, but the other side of it is risk. There's two sources of financial stress, debt and risk. There's no other sources of financial stress. And on the risk side of it, people are told that they should put all their money in the S&P 500 index fund. And just hang on for dear life. Just hodl the S&P 500 index fund. Um, that's fine. If you ask people why they do that, they say, well, because it returns the most. And I'm like, that is the stupidest, most simplistic thing I've ever heard in my entire life. You're just doing this because it returns the most. Yes, index funds return the most. 
But if you invest in an index, you not only get the return of the index, you get the volatility of the index. And the S&P 500 is pretty volatile. You know, I'm looking at the VIX right now, it's 15, right? So that means that you're going to, you could have a 15% swing every year in your investment, which is a lot, you know? So the book talks about ways to mitigate that risk by investing across asset classes and putting together a portfolio of stuff that is not just stocks and not just stocks and bonds, but real estate and hard assets and stuff like that to bring things into the portfolio that reduce that correlation, reduce that portfolio risk. So, Okay. Yeah. It's quite interesting because I guess if we look at the past few years, the uh, the traditional 60-40 portfolio has actually been very, you know, the, the bonds are meant to be uh, uncorrelated to the to the uh, equities, but they've actually been quite correlated. So is that a trend that you think is, I guess you're thinking that we're going to go back to normal where they're going to be uncorrelated moving into the future, not like what we've seen the past few years? Uh, I don't really have a view on that. I mean, you know, we've had these regimes in the past where bonds and stocks have been correlated for 20 years, then they haven't been correlated for 20 years. So I don't really have an opinion on whether we've entered a new regime or not. But what I'm saying is that you can you can add other things to that portfolio that are less correlated that bring down the portfolio risk. So, so as you're saying, like property, obviously equities, bonds, commodities, and yep. anything else that you would say as well. All those are the main things. Also, cash, cash. cash. Yeah, yeah. I guess especially yeah. U.S. dollars. Um, would you sort of focus on that? I guess uh, looking at other currencies as well, or is it just mainly the the, the country you're in, focusing on? Yeah, pretty well. much. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So Jared, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, my last question is, what is one message you'd like people to take away from our conversation? Uh, one thing that I want people to take away from our conversation. Well, I mean, obviously no worries how to live a stress-free financial life. Uh, it comes out January 23rd, 2024. Uh, it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon and every place else. Highly recommend you pick up a copy and aside from that, front end of the yield curve is the best place to be right now. So, yep, no, it makes sense to take, get that yield while, uh, as you said, there's a uh, looks like it'll be appreciated in the future. So, Jared, thanks again for your time. Uh, is it where else could people find your work? Um, obviously, Amazon for the book and your other books. Is there anywhere else? Um, no, that's it. That's it. I'm not going to complicate things. <laughs> perfect i'll put some uh social media handles as well in the description if anyone wants to follow you there but yeah thanks again for your time all right thanks thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts are released i hope you're leaving with some great value about investing trading and finance see you on the next show